for me this morning, he did give me uh, in, in Proverbs 4, verse 18 for, for me. And, it's, it, and, and of course, it has to do with our whole Christian life. Proverbs 4, verse 18. And I'll read it, but it has to do with our whole Christian life. But then there are times when the intensity of that light and that walk, God lights up those particular areas. And that's for me, especially uh, for this week. And this is Proverbs 4 and verse 18. And this is what it says. I'll read it from the Amplified Bible. It says, But the path of the uncompromisingly just and righteous is like the light of dawn that shines more and more, brighter and clearer, until it reaches its full strength and glory in the perfect day to be prepared. And this, of course, when we understand this about who we are in Christ, that has to do with these particular, this particular scripture. And I'll read this this morning in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11. It says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. Now that I've become a man, I have... I am done with childish ways and have put them aside. For now we are looking in a mirror that gives only a dim, blurred reflection of reality as in a riddle or enigma. But then, when perfection comes, we will see in reality and face to face. Now I know in part, imperfectly, but then I will know and understand fully and clearly, even in the same manner that I have been fully known fully and clearly known and understood by God. So faith, hope, love, abide. Faith, conviction, and belief, respecting man's relation to God and divine things. Hope, joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. Love, true affection for God and man, growing out of God's love for and in us. And so, as we, as uh, the word was posted this morning, sometimes we, we are in these dark circumstances and situations, and they're only dark, they're only dark, and, and seen that way, uh, only through natural perception. And natural perception simply means, even for us as Christians, uh, when we function in the flesh, we function natu- naturally, but when we function in Christ, we have the full light. And see, so what he does in, on this path, what he does is he lights each step. He doesn't skip a step in our growth in Second Peter 3 and verse 18. There's not a, a step that he skips. Jesus himself walked that path as was, again, was put on the word this morning. In 1 Peter 2.21, he has gone ahead of us. He's walked and, and walked in every single step that he has called you and I to go to. And in each step that we take, and that step that we take is faith obedience on his word. And remember, faith, dependence, faith, which is absolute dependence upon Christ and his word, his way, his will, that he fulfilled for us, faith is never a leap into the dark. Faith is taking steps on the most solid foundational truth. 
Again, that's Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the substance, the substantiation, the title deed of things not seen, but even more certain than the things that we don't see. See, Because the things that are seen in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 18, the things that are seen are temporal. Things that are not seen are eternal. So we have his eternal light leading us in this pathway in time to bring us ultimately with him in the full light of meeting him, meeting him face to face and seeing him face to face. And so, again, in in that time, there's many voices. There's many, many voices where the enemy will come in. And every voice of the enemy is based upon, it's based upon fear. And all those fears, what is in the fear is just a lie. Because Satan is a liar in John 8 and verse 44. There's no truth in him, but we have Christ in us. He is the very truth and the very light of our path. But as we take these steps by faith without natural sight or feelings or thoughts, then the enemy comes in and tries to substitute the voice of our shepherd in John 10, 3 and 4, and in John 10, verse 27. And he's that, the enemy is that stranger's voice, and the stranger's voice there we see again in those first 27 verses of John 10. The stranger's voice is one of fear based upon a lie. He wants to hurt us, to steal, to kill, and destroy us, our experience of the faithfulness and intimacy that that he is in his love towards us as he leads us in every single step. Every place that God has led us and every place that he leads us is a place that is already prepared of him. And he just needs to have us in Psalm 57, verse 7, And in Psalm 108, verse 1, our hearts to be fixed, our mind to be fixed so that we don't go by our thoughts, but that we have, in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 16, we have the very mind of Christ. He he has walked so far ahead of us, but now he walks with us. He's in us. And that's what he was even telling Joshua Joshua, imagine, imagine Joshua as he followed Moses. Moses was like a, a mentor and a leader for him. And one who, that God was using, God was using uh, Moses to train Joshua. He was training him through his life. He could see, he could learn from Moses uh, things that were right. He could also learn from Moses the things that were wrong, that God held him in the light, not in terms of guilt or condemnation, Moses himself, but in the fact that they weren't right, but that we could gain understanding from them. And that's what we have for each other. And that's why he said in Joshua, the first chapter, in verse 1, it says in the Amplified Bible, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses minister. See, he was his minister. He would minister to Moses while Moses was was training him. 
through, of course, through Christ being in Moses as a vessel. Verse 2 says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Okay? So now arise. Take his place. And of course, not in the sense that he could ever take the place of Moses, but that God was calling him to take his own proper place and relying on God now. He had Moses for him for a while to teach and train him. But then God, what, what he does, and even Hebrews 13 verse 7 brings this out clearly, there are leaders that were our teachers, but so that we would not rely just on them alone, but that we would rely on Christ alone, he took certain ones home. But now we still have them, thank God, we have these leaders that, that are to follow, and as they follow Christ, we have these in Hebrews 13, 7, so 17. So the ones, there are those that have gone home to be with the Lord. I know, like, like, like especially Diane and I and Barbara and some of us older folks that's been around for a while, God had servants, and they gave us the word. They invested in us, precious men and women, and they've gone home to be with the Lord. But what God gave us through them was to teach us to rely on Christ. And so he removed them. But he didn't leave us without leaders in Hebrews 13, 17. And those are the ones that we still have. But here in this sense, God is speaking to Joshua. You know, he's speaking to us. Sometimes when, when those that we have relied on, we, when we can't anymore, it's like they're dead to us, meaning they can't provide life for us. They can't provide for the thing that we need. And then God says to us personally, Christ says to us as his own, his very sheep, his voice comes in again as it does in John the 10th chapter and says, arise, take your place and go over this Jordan. Now he raised up Moses to lead them through, uh, to, to lead them through the Red Sea. What they had to partake of was first the Passover lamb to prepare them to walk through the Red Sea. And in those two instances, that is Christ dying for us. Everything about Moses that he was teaching was the fact that everything that God did was based upon himself. The enemy will come in and lie and say, and, and we've been sharing it recently, that God will only tie his love. He'll only bless you based upon your performance. And that's not God. God doesn't tie his love to our performance. Boy, if he did. <laughs> oh boy, but he doesn't. But now he, he raises up, he raises up, who? Joshua. All he was, was, a, was Moses' minister. But God raised him up for this purpose. And that purpose that he raised him up for was to now, they were to cross over after going through the Red Sea in Exodus, the 14th chapter, they walked on dry ground. The waters came back and destroyed all their enemies. And they were in the wilderness. Now in the wilderness, now they're about to enter into their promised land. And we've said before that, and we've been taught through the word, that in, in Exodus 12, 1 through 13, in Exodus, the 14th chapter, in those first those 15 verses and on through the Red Sea was Christ dying for us. Now, 
Now we're to enter into the promised land. But here, the Jordan River was overflowing. How could they get through? How could they get through? Moses and Joshua were both types. They themselves were not the type apart from the fact that, that God was doing a work in and through them that had to do with his son who would come thousands of years into the future and fulfill all these types. You see, they, they failed. We as leaders fail, and God forbid that we, we should do so. And when we do, thank God that we have his grace. Not to live in sin, but it's the answer to it. But he raises up him now to cross over into the promised land. And God has given us, many of us leaders, that teach us all about the promises that are in Christ. They are settled. And in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20, all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are, yes, settled and amen. Nothing can change it. Nothing can change his love for us that's accomplished. But here, he, he, raised up, he raised up Joshua to do this. I mean, can you imagine if he looked by sight? Here is this river. It's impossible. How are you going to get over million, millions of people through this when this river is overflowing? It's just by sight impossible. But he said, you're not, not only am I going to lead you and you're going to follow me, but you're going to lead all this people into the land which I am giving to them, the Israelites. This is what he said to Joshua. I remember he gave me these verses back in 1983. I remember I was one year married. Back in 1983. He gave me these verses in the midst of a very difficult and troubling time for me personally. And this is what he said, and God speaking that to us this morning with Proverbs 4 and verse 18, that path that, that is lit up by who Christ is. But Joshua 1, 3 says, Every place upon which the sole of your foot, your walk, right in the midst of spiritual warfare, in Ephesians six fifteen, we have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, meaning we have peace with God ourselves. It's not so much we're preaching it, and of course we can't do it effectively unless we have that peace, that settled peace and assurance, and that complete trust in him. But we walk with our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And he said, every place upon the sole of your, that the sole of your foot will tread, that have I given unto you as I promised Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon to the great river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, Canaan, and to the great Mediterranean Sea on the west will be your territory. He also said this to me. This is very important to me now, too, as I face certain things that I would in no way naturally ever go. We said recently in our talks, in the times with the men and with Mike, uh, he said to Peter after he told him to feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my lamb, lambs in John 21, 15 to 17, then he said to him, I'm going to carry you to a place where you would never go. The places that he has ordained for us we would never go, but he never had it for us to go alone because Jesus went there first. That's why it says in Isaiah 30, verse 18, he's waiting to be gracious. Sight tells us to be afraid. Sight tells us 
everything seems dead now. All those promises, all those scriptures, all that counsel, now by sight seems to be dead. It seems to be that way. But no, 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 he said to him, no. And he said this to me a long time ago, and boy, is he bringing it up to me for this week. In Joshua 1.5, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life, meaning that no man can get in the way of God's plan, his purpose, and his work for you when we trust him, when we fully trust him. See, we're not trusting man. See, we're not trusting each other apart from Christ. We're trusting Christ for each other. When we say we can't trust another believer, all we're trying to do is do it in the flesh when we see things in, in the flesh and in natural sight. Because we know in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness unto him, neither can he know them. But the, because they're spiritually discerned by God the Holy Spirit. But he said, no man in Joshua 1.5 will be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses. Was God with, Mo with Moses? He's telling us this morning, I want you to look back at my faithfulness. Was God faithful to Moses? Will I not be faithful to you? Is God a respecter of persons? Does he respect them? Is he a respecter of persons? No. All through the scriptures, no. As I was with Moses... So I, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. So be strong. Be confident. Yeah, every, in the everyday mundane details of life, God's training us. You know, he trained Elijah. Who would have thought that God would, would train Elijah, a prophet, by being so poor, having him such poor condition? where even a dirty bird, a raven, would have to feed him. He couldn't even do it himself. But it was preparing him to completely depend upon God by absolute faith and not any other thought than the word, not any other emotion, not bad emotions, not going by good or bad emotions, just going by faith alone in the, in the person and work of Christ that he's accomplished. And so he said, I will not fail you nor forsake you. Be strong, confident, of good courage, for you will cause this people to inherit the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only you be strong and very courageous that you may do according to all the law. And of course, the law in that sense was just the word and obedience. It wasn't the Ten Commandments. They could never keep them. No one ever did, only, than, only other than Christ. And what he did for us as a church is bring us so far above the Ten Commandments, but did not skip them, by the way. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left. When you hear a voice on your right or to the left, voices, these accusations that God's going to fail you. This is too dark. There's no way through this. That you may prosper where you go. This book of the law, and of course for us, it's that law that Christ has fulfilled in Romans chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death, the law of fear, the law of doubt, the law of worry, the law of anxiety. The book of the law will not depart out of your mouth. And he was teaching Elijah, had him by a brook. How's he going to 
God had led him. Was it God that led him to a brook? A little brook? And then that brook dried up? You mean God would cause a bird that to the Jews, a raven was, was a dirty bird? A raven. And when you know, when you study about ravens, they don't even feed their young. They feed themselves first. And if anything's left over, they'll feed it to their young. And yet here are these birds, these selfish birds, under the command and control of our Savior, bringing him food. <laughs> bringing him food. Then, then we see that, that that little stream dried up. Then God told them to go. Get up and go now. I don't see where do you want me to go? I don't see. Just go. Just trust me. So he goes forward. Then he meets a widow woman. Meets a widow woman. Isn't that interesting? Here's all this trouble. Here's all this trouble that he is in the midst of, his own personal trouble. And yet God still, in God's own way, not the way we want, but God's own way, and that way always is to teach us dependence upon him continual dependence on his love. Meets a widow woman. He sees her. Can you believe it? He ha here's a prophet. Here's this so-called so great man of God, this prophet. And, he, he, and God brings him to a place where he asks a widow woman who's about to prepare her last meal to prepare it for him first. <laughs> Unbelievable. And then she says, well, there's just enough for me. There's just enough meal and oil for me and my son to eat and then we're going to die because there's nothing left for us. We're just going to die. In the midst of our circumstances, by sight, it looks like we're going to die. Looks like we're going to die. Everything's over. God's promises, God's plan, God's call, what he's going to do with us. So many things interfering, so many voices of doubt and fear causing us not to trust and go forward, just to quit and give up. Thank God he doesn't quit on us, because he never will. He never will in 2 Timothy 2. In verse 13, even when we abide not faithful, he abides faithful. He will never deny the love that he has for us, that his son has accomplished for us. He'll never leave us, nor forsake us. In Hebrews 13, verse 5, triple salutation, he'll never leave us, nor forsake us. That woman had to act, and he brought, he brought Elijah, a prophet, and a little, little widow woman to the same place of having to depend on, on him. She did it by faith. And for two years, <laughs> that little bit of meal, when we obey, what we put in his hands, the little bit, what we put in his hands, and you may not think, and I may not think we have anything to give him, and he has to reduce us down. We don't have anything to give him. I can't face the cir circumstance, the situation without you, God. It's, it's no hope in it, but the, our hope is in you in Colossians 1, in verse 27. And hope doesn't make us ashamed because in Romans 5, 5, you have poured out your love on us. It didn't run out for two years. It fed this prophet. He led a prophet to minister to a widow woman and her son, and she ministered right back. They both had to depend on him. Just what Joshua had to do too. Just what you and I have to do too. 
uh, this morning. And I just want to read these scriptures, and God's been giving these to me because the enemy wants to blanket us and overwhelm us and smother us with fear, dread. Overwhelm us. He does with fear, and especially at certain times. When God, when the darkness is just about to break and the light is going to shine, then he comes in with his lies, his, his fear, and, and, and projections of doubt and fear, and, and all because of our past sins and what we did presently in our past sins, that God won't be faithful to us. Well, here's the scriptures. Here, here are the scriptures, and these are the ones that God has, has given me. I'm just going to read. I'm going to read in, in Psalm 26. In verse 1, it says, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, the integrity that Christ has made ours in him. I have expectantly trusted and leaned on and relied on the Lord without wavering. And of course, we did, and we have, but he doesn't. And I will not slide. Examine me, O Lord, improve me, test my heart and my mind. For your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I've walked in your truth faithfully. I do not sit with false persons, nor fellowship with pretenders. I hate the company of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. I will wash my hands in innocency. That's us confessing our sin and confessing that Christ has done that in 1 John 1, 9. And I go about your altar, O Lord, and that's the cross where everything is finished for us in John 19 and verse 30, that I may make the voice of thanksgiving heard, thankful for all that you've done and yet you're doing, and may tell all of your wondrous works. You see that? It's all his work. That I may, that Lord, I love the habitation of your house where all your people gather, and the place where your glory dwells in each individual. Gather me not with sinners, sweep me not away with them, know my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands is wickedness, and their right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in my integrity, that who Christ has made me to be. Redeem me experientially, obviously, and be merciful and gracious to me. My foot stands on an even place. In the, con in the congregations will I bless you. Verse Psalm 27, the Lord is my light. See, he lights up our path, he does it individually. And my salvation, my deliverance, whom will I fear or dread? The Lord is the refuge and stronghold of my life. Of whom will I be afraid? Even the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, the doubts, the fears, the lies, the projections that come against complete dependence upon Christ, came upon me to eat up my flesh. They stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, a whole demonic host, my heart will not fear. Though war rise against me, the lies warring against dependence, even then, and this will I be confident, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek, inquire for, and insistently require, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord in his presence all the days of my life, to be held and gaze upon the beauty, the sweet attractiveness, and the delightful loveliness of the Lord, and to meditate, consider, and inquire in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will hide me in his shelter. In the secret place of his tent will he hide me. 
he will, he will set me high upon a rock. And we know that that rock in 1 Corinthians 10.4 is Christ. That rock that was brought out in type in Exodus 33 and in verse 21 that was cleft for Moses to hide in. That spoke of Christ being crucified on Calvary. And now we hide in him as our refuge. And we'll read that very soon. Verse 6 of Psalm 27, And now will my head be lifted up above all my enemies. I will think with the mind of Christ is love towards me, above fear, doubt, worry, anxiety, dread. My head will be lifted up above my enemies round about me. In his tent I will offer sacrifices and shoutings of joy. And that's what we do in Christ when we hide in him. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Have mercy and be gracious to me and answer me. And of course, that's our prayer. We go to the throne of grace in Hebrews 4, verse 14 to 16. Find mercy and grace right in the nick of time. 27, verse 8. You have said, seek my face, inquire for and require my, and require my presence as your vital need. Your presence, Lord, will I seek, inquire for, and require of necessity and on the authority of your word. We will, and we never have to pray this. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Cast me not off, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. He never will do that with us because we're in Christ. Any more than he would forsake his son, he will not forsake us. Although my father and my mother have forsaken me, even sometimes our natural parents, even in their ignorance and in their own failures, they, they may, might not have come through. Yet the Lord will take me up, adopt me as his own child. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path, even in an even path because of my enemies, those who lie in wait for me to devour me with lies and fear. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, and he will not. For false witnesses, false witnesses have what? Have risen up against me. They breathe out cruelty and violence. See, the enemy seek, has come to seek, to, uh, to, to steal, to kill and destroy, but Christ has come, and he's come to give us abundant life. Verse 13, what? What would have become of me had I not believed that I would see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living? Wait and hope and expect the Lord. Be brave and of good courage. Let your heart be stout and enduring. Yes, wait for and hope for and, and respect the Lord. And I'll just close with this psalm. and There's many others you can read. You, you can read the 28th Psalm, and I did, that's for sure. But I'm just going to read Psalm 32 in those first 11 verses, and then we'll stop. Psalm 32, verse 1, the Psalm of David. It was a skillful song. It's a didactic, which means it's a teaching psalm, teaching us. And it's, we're to reflect and meditate on that teaching that we have. Blessed, happy, fortunate to be envied is he who has forgiveness of his transgression continually exercised upon him. Isn't that amazing? Whose sin is covered. Ours is more than covered, it's dealt with. Blessed, happy, fortunate to be envied is the, is the man to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity. The enemy will say, yes, yes, God is doing this because of your sin. 
we know that's a lie, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent before I confess, and that's David, see? He wrote Psalm 51 before he wrote Psalm 32. That's what he wrote. Because until he confessed it in Psalm 51, verses 4 and 5, this was his experience. But when he said in Psalm 32, verse 3, when I kept silence, before I confess my sin, and you dealt with areas. You see, God leads us to areas where he's not going to hold us accountable for the sin, but hold us accountable in terms of confessing it and not not speed bumping it and going over it. Not going over. My bones wasted away through my groanings all the day long, unconfessed sin. For day and night your hand of displeasure was heavy upon me. My moisture was turned into the drought of summer. Selah, pause and calmly think of that. I acknowledge my sin to you. And my iniquity, listen to what it says, I did not hide. Now the enemy wants us to hide in fear, past guilt, past condemnation, presently. Hide in sin. But my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, continually unfolding the past till all is told. Then you instantly forgave me. (laughs) Instantly, my instant experience. We have the forgiveness in Ephesians 4, verse 32. But for us to experience it in 1 John 1, 9, we must confess it. Because we're confessing that Christ dealt with it. But we're not, we're not blotting it over. God will have us to know that our sins are forgiven, but he won't have us to bypass the reality of that that's, that's accomplished it. Then you instantly forgave me the guilt and iniquity of my sin. Selah, pause and calmly think of all that kind of teaching. For this forgiveness, let everyone who is godly pray. Pray to you, God, in a time when you may be found. Surely, when the great waters of trial overflow, they will not reach the Spirit in him. You are a hiding place for me. Do you see that? We can either hide in sin, fear, doubt, worry, or we hide in him. You are a hiding place for me. You, Lord, preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs and shouts of deliverance. Selah. Pause and calmly think of that. I, the Lord, will instruct you and will teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And his eye is who we are in Christ. That's how he sees us. And that's how he teaches us. Be not like the horse or the mule, which lack understanding, which must have their mouths held firm with a bit and bridle, or else they will not come with you in terms of obedience. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts him, relies on, and confidently leans on the Lord will be compassed about with mercy and with loving kindness. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you uncompromisingly righteous. You who are upright and in the right standing with him, shout for joy. All you upright in heart, because this we know, this we know, and David said this, and we can say it, this we know, and Paul said it, when he said, God for me, who against me? Romans 8, 31 to 39. If God is for us, then who can be against us? Who can cause us to be less than the conqueror that we are in him? In Romans 8, verse 37. Yes, 
We posted recently the word on tears. Tears are a language that go beyond what we can even communicate in words. That's why David said, he bottles all my tears. In Psalm 56, verse 8, they're all in a book. He bottles them. Because even those tears of what our sin and the misery that our sin and the guilt that it brought, Christ bore on Calvary. He wept those tears for us and accomplished what was needed for them in answer to them. He had to be forsaken. In, in Psalm 22 and verse 1, in Matthew 27 and verse 46, so that God would never forsake us. And he's not going to forsake us. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't. God is for us. And that's why he said in Psalm 56, verse 9, he said, when, when my enemies come against me, I cry unto the Lord. I cry out. All I can do is cry because I know I'm no match for them. I'm no match for fear, doubt, worry, a demonic army coming against me with these projections to blanket me and flood me with fear and overwhelm me. I'm no match for them. But I am in Christ who overcame them. They're already overcome because we've come over to him and we will continually trust in him. But he said, this I know, in Psalm 56, verse 9, this I know, and he's teaching me this constantly. Even with the things, with the places where we don't want to go, it's, he's proving his love and his faithfulness to us. He said, this I know, that God is for me. You see, for us as individuals, for everyone that's, that's listening and everyone that will hear this, God is for you. He's not against you. You're in Christ. You received him as your Savior. He's for you. He's not against you. He loves you. And he's bringing you through all this. It takes more strength and it's a greater height of his glory not to take you out of those circumstances and situations which fear would cause us to cry out for God to do. No. Take us right through it. Right in the face of the enemies. Right in their face. He's with us because he's for us. He's bringing us to a face-to-face -face meeting with him in 1 Corinthians 13, 12 to share with him that hidden manna and that new name that's written on this white stone in Revelations 2 and 17. And we will sup and fellowship with him for all eternity. So Father, thank you for your faithfulness this morning. Keep us, keep us strong in the strength that's in Christ Jesus. And you have to keep us weak so we won't go by the strength of lies and our own plans. You have to weaken our strength in Psalm 102, verse 23, and shorten our days in the way when we don't rely on you. When you, in those areas where we would want to run and hide and get away from, right in those, you have portions of grace and strength for us in Psalm 68 and verse 28. And then we can say, say with you in Joel 3.10 and 2 Corinthians 12.9, let the weak say, the Lord is my strength. I'm strong in him who's for me, who will never leave me nor forsake me. And so, Father, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.